What a privilege it is to welcome you to the 11 o'clock service of the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Uh, As we all start new things this fall, uh, what a great place to begin our time together by uh, linking up together with each other and uh, seeking God's assistance as we face the new challenges that are uh, before us. Would you please stand and join me in the responsive call to worship? Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. For God is the king over all the earth. Sing to him. A psalm of praise. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is an impossible concept for us to understand that the God who played with matter and created stars and created this cosmos could actually care about us and care about our feeble, small, little needs. And yet, we understand and we live with the hope that that is true. Please enable us to understand the immense love and care that you have for each one of us this morning. And let us draw near to you with our needs and our concerns, knowing in confidence that you indeed care for us as a loving Heavenly Father does. Be with us today. Meet our needs as we approach you today. And just bless us as we pursue how we can serve the world and serve you better. In your precious name, amen.
Amen. That is why we gather to worship the King, and we're so glad that you are here as a part of this service. We especially welcome uh, new and uh, returning uh, students, the academy and uh, the college. It's always great to have you back, and we're excited about uh, those of you who are here and more are coming this week. Excuse me, this week, but uh, we are glad to have you here in this worship time this morning. Take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here. Perhaps introduce yourself to someone that uh, you do not know. Tonight at 5 o'clock, you are invited to a potluck dinner in the church community room located directly behind us. Uh, The purpose of this is twofold. One is we are inviting all the college students who are here early to join us and have a chance to connect with them and uh, eat this meal together. If you're a student, you don't need to bring anything. Just come. We'll provide uh, the the food for you, and we'll have table service as well. Uh, The tables are all set up, and we uh, anticipate a a great time together tonight at 5 o'clock in the community room. We'll probably meet for an hour or so, and we'll have a program other than uh, eating together, and then we want to take a moment to pray for the students uh, at, at the end of the gathering. So uh, we hope that you'll be a part of the, this uh, meal together, uh, that we intersect our lives with community folks who are here year-round and students who are coming back. Next Sunday morning, we uh, move into our regular worship schedule of services, 829, 40, and 11. And uh, you see the information in the bulletin about that. Also, Sunday school starts next week. We still need some people to help with preschool and with some of the elementary grades, both as teachers and assistants. If you are... Uh, Interested? If you would like to serve in this way, help our, our children learn about uh, God, uh, just contact uh, the church office. Uh, you can uh, just email info at hwchurch.org or call us or talk to one of the pastors this morning and we'll get you connected to the right people for that. There are a number of concerns for prayer in the bulletin. Um, we want to pray for uh, persecuted church as we continue to do. Also for uh, those who are affected by the Ebola crisis. And uh, also, there are other concerns connected to us uh, right here around us, as well as things that are maybe connected to us in other places of the world. We do want to pray for uh, Judy Maley and her family, her brother-in-law, Gordon Jeffords, uh, died earlier this week after a lengthy illness. And want to pray for his wife, Tina, and their family in their grief, and uh, we want to pray for them as as they uh, deal with this loss and... uh, we pray for God's comforting presence upon them. One of the, uh, the great uh, joys that we have as a congregation is to dedicate our children to God. And we have the privilege of doing so again this morning. Nate and Eileen, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you are signifying your own faith in Jesus Christ and your desire that she receive the benefits of dedication to God and of the prayers of the church and may early learn to know and follow the will of God. And thus doing, may live and die a Christian, attaining in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord, to watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity, and to direct her feet to the sanctuary, to restrain her from evil associates and habits, and as much as possible to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's gospel, we we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, 
and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Now's the test. <laughs> yeah. What name have you given your child? Elizabeth Holbrook Jacoby. Elizabeth Holbrook Jacoby, on behalf of your parents, your family, and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned to us as a congregation, every time we dedicate our children to God, this is uh, something that involves all of us. Uh, I was saying to Nate and Eileen, I, I sort of view this as a triangle surrounding her life. And at the base of that triangle is God. And we know that God is faithful to her. He is already at work in her life and he will every moment be at work in her life. And uh, they have just made their commitment to God to do everything in their power with the help of God to, uh, to do everything as parents to help her know God and to follow God all of her life. And we are the other side of the triangle as the church. We have this great privilege and responsibility to help her know Christ. Maybe through a class or uh, some kind of structured moment. It is often through those unstructured, spontaneous times when we just interact with her. And reveal Christ's love into her. And so I'm going to ask you to stand and to affirm your commitment to Elizabeth and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ, will you with the help of God do everything possible to help Elizabeth grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come again today and give you thanks for the gift of children. We read your word and we see how precious children are to you. We see Jesus taking little children in his arms and pouring out blessing upon them when others would want to reject them. We pray, Father, for this little one we bring today. We pray, Father, that you will help Elizabeth to know how much you love her and how valuable she is to you this day and every day of her life. Lord, we have dedicated her to you today. And we do this knowing your grace is already at work in her. And we pray that throughout her life, she will have a heart and a passion to follow you. Wherever you lead her, give her grace to to surrender her life to you and to find in you joy and peace and all that you have created her to live and to know. Father, we pray for Nate and Eileen as parents and this great privilege and responsibility that you've given to them. Bless them with and we pray that you will fill them with grace and courage and wisdom and understanding as they nurture Elizabeth in their home. We pray that you will bless them in every way and pour out your spirit upon their home every moment. Thank you again for this little one. Help us as a church to be a witness to her in every way possible. And Father, we pray all of this through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. For those of you who don't know, that is one great baby. Um, because of my ushering duties, I spent a lot of time with her in the back. And I, I swear, she's probably one of the most pleasant people I know. And uh, I hope we don't mess it up because she's really, she's really got it going. And uh, I'm rooting for her. Please join me in the Old Testament reading this morning as found in Genesis 2, verses 22 for, through chapter 3, verse 7. 
Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she will be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Die, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Heavenly Father, you are perfect in love, power, holiness, compassion, and truth. We are not. Forgive us for being more concerned with taking love than with giving love. Forgive us for being more concerned with wielding power than with embracing weakness. Forgive us for believing that holiness is defined by behaviors we check off a list and with openness to being filled by your spirit. Forgive us for being unmoved with apathy toward people in need rather than being moved by compassion like Jesus. Forgive us for minimizing the truth so that people will think well of us, rather than embracing the truth that sets all of us free. And forgive us for giving others the impression that we are more like you than we are. In your grace and mercy, hear our prayers, and give us fullness of life that can be found only in you. And let us hear once again the promise of your word. If you confess your sins... God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. Amen. As the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings, would you please stand with me and join in the Gloria Patri.
Thank you, Paul and Debbie and Amanda. That was marvelous. I had the privilege this morning of already participating in an incredibly powerful worship service this morning, the 940 service. And as you'll find out, this altar plays a very significant role in that service and in this to come. And just permit me one little re- reflection as, as we consider the idea of coming to God with our needs Uh, I grew up in the church summer camp circuit, and some of you did. And I also grew up in this church from the time that I was two years old. And um, I had some marvelous experiences at altars, and I had some that were not as as clear. And sometimes my reactions toward altars were a bit confusing. And a year ago, I had an experience that kind of rescued the idea of the altar to me. I was in one of the early services here at the church church. And about halfway back, two little girls, about six or seven, Wes had given his customary appeal to come to the altar. And the little girls literally jumped out of their seats and sprinted to the altar and bowed and prayed. And I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful image of what it should be for all of us to sprint to the altar when we have a need. And this morning I saw a little guy about seven years old. And the time came to come to the altar, and he made his way out, marched confidently up here, and prayed right over here. And uh, again, I think we can learn an awful lot from the child in how to respond to God's appeal for loving us. Please join me in the listen as I read the New Testament reading, and it comes from Luke 11. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place when he finished. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity... He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The scriptures record for us only one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. We think that there will be a whole lot of things. And we have in our minds that, well, if there is only one thing, it would probably be this or that. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to do miracles. Luke 11 tells us, that Jesus is out one day praying. And when he finishes, the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. 
There's something about the way Jesus prays, something about what prayer does in Jesus' life that the disciples say, we want that because we don't have it. Jesus, teach us how to pray. But it's not just teach us to pray. It's teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. In first century Palestine, every rabbi had a group of followers and they taught their followers a prayer. Something that would be identifiable to them that they are followers of this particular rabbi. And so there, John had this for his followers. And they're saying, Jesus, give us something like that as your followers. What they're really saying is, Jesus, give us a formula. Give us a model, a plan to pray so that we, we don't really have to maybe think about it so much. But it becomes something that we can fit our, our, ourselves into as your followers. And we're always looking for formulas, right? Well, I was looking for some kind of strategy, some kind of plan. And we want 10 commandments for being better prayers. We want the 21 irrefutable laws of, being, of, of praying in the spirit. Give us some kind, something that we can just plug into. And surprisingly, Jesus does. He gives them a model. We say it every Sunday or a form of it. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Luke's version is abbreviated compared to Matthew's and a little bit abbreviated compared to what we tend to say every, every week. But he does give them this model. And I can see the disciples saying, that's awesome, Jesus. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's go to whatever the next thing is. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa wait a second. I, I'm, I'm not done yet. That's not all there is to answering your question. Sit down and let me tell you a story. Again with the stories. And he tells him a story about the man who's out traveling. He's on a long journey. He arrives at his friend's house late at night. And hospitality being so vital to their culture, his friend says, can I get you something? He says, yeah, I'm starved. You know, no McDonald's, no rest stops, no convenience stores. Of course, we don't have a convenience store either, so we wouldn't be able to help him with that, would we? But beside the point. But uh, so he gets there and he's hungry. And he has to feed him. You cannot let this person go hungry. That would be horrible. You, you have to show hospitality. It's vital. So he goes to the kitchen, looks in the cupboards. They got nothing. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have a pantry stocked with canned goods. He's looking for bread and there's none. So he goes next door to his neighbor, knocks on his door, says, I need some bread. And it's in verse 8. That the whole thing hinges. What goes before it, what goes after it. Hinges on verse 8. And verse 8 says, Even if he will not get up and give you bread because you're his friend, because of his shameless audacity, he will get up and give you what you need. Now that is an unusual translation of that word. Most of the time, the scripture says something like, because of his persistence, because of his boldness, he will get up and give him what he wants. And there is, it's good to be persistent. That's a positive character trait. We're not happy about people who quit when things get rough. We're happy about people, we like it when people are persistent and they work through difficulties and pain and struggles and they keep going. Persistence is a positive characteristic in our culture. But there is a sense that we read, hear Jesus talking here, and you can get the impression, and some people have, many people have, interpret this as, if you just, if you just pester God long enough, he'll give you what you want. If you just bang on the door long enough, if you knock enough, if you seek enough, if you ask enough, eventually God will throw up his hands and say, fine, I'll get up and give you what you want. Right? And Jesus said, and I just have a hard time believing that that's what he means. That doesn't seem to fit the character of God throughout all of the history we have recorded in Scripture. That's the mindset of people outside the kingdom of Israel and heaven. Because that's us manipulating God. God, if we just badger you enough, you will have to give us what we want. 
or like the other nations of the world. If we go through this right ritual, then the gods have to give us what we desire. And who's in control? We are. And one of the underlying truths of the kingdom is we are never in control. God is. And prayer is no different. Sometimes it's translated boldness. And again, this, it's good to be bold. When we pray, we want to be bold. God loves people who come and pray bold, risk-taking prayers. But if that boldness is a sense of demanding from God what he has to do because we have made the demands, we're still in control and not God. The literal meaning of this word is shamelessness. And Jesus is saying, because of his shamelessness, he is, he will get up and give him what he needs. Now, we think about the word shameless, it has negative connotations sometimes. When we talk about people who are shameless, they, they will do anything to get what they want. They have no conscience. They just, they'll just take advantage of people, manipulate people, do whatever it takes. They are, we talk about they are shameless And it isn't always a compliment. But there is the other side of it too. And the other side of it is that shamelessness is a positive thing. When we think about being unashamed, we are not afraid to do what we need to do. We're not afraid to ask for what we need because we need it. Maybe think of it this way. Uh, It's the, you're sitting in class and, you, you know, if you're not in class now, you have been, you remember, you're sitting there, the teacher's explaining something, and you have no idea what they're talking about. And our human nature, our human inclination is to just sit there and try to figure it out. Right? Because we don't want to be the person, the only person in the room who doesn't understand. It's embarrassing. It's the person who is unashamed who raises their hand and says, maybe I'm stupid, but I don't get it. Could you explain that more? What's fascinating is that if you're on the other side of the desk, if you're teaching, that's exactly what you want people to do. People who don't understand, you want them to say, I don't understand, so that you can help them understand it. But our pride keeps us, our shame of exposing ourselves as perhaps ignorant keeps us from doing what we need to do and admitting that we have a need, that we don't get it. You think about perhaps the desire in your heart is something isn't happening right. You can't quite get something figured out and you realize you need to go talk to someone. But it's embarrassing to go and admit to people, I'm having this struggle. I've got this burden. But if we want to be healed, if we want to get better, if we want someone to help us, we have to do it. Or you take that job and the boss explains everything to you about what you're supposed to do and how the machinery works and they leave you to it and this minute they walk out of the room, your mind goes blank and you cannot remember a thing they said. And you can either go to the copy machine and end up running off thousands of copies because you can't figure out how to get it stopped or you can go ask for help. And it's embarrassing. You have to swallow your pride to go ask for help. But that's what you have to do if you're going to get it right. And Jesus is saying, here is a man who is surely ashamed that he doesn't have bread in his house. Everybody has bread in their house. What kind of person doesn't have bread in their house? You never know when someone's going to show up with a need. Who doesn't have bread? What is wrong with you? Despite perhaps the, the, the shame that may come upon him, he says, it doesn't matter. I've got a friend who has a need. I'm going to go ask for bread. And because he is willing to go ask for bread, he gets bread. And his friend is fed. And it is a perfect image of prayer. That we come to God acknowledging our need. Acknowledging that we cannot solve our problems. Only He can. But until we acknowledge our need, until we come to Him, we just keep spinning our wheels or 
digging a hole and becoming more anxious, more burdened, more overwhelmed because we aren't willing to come and say, God, I need you. We often think that people who are holy, people who are righteous, are people who have gotten to the place in life where they don't have needs anymore. I think it's exactly the opposite. I think the most holy people are the ones who continually live in a spirit of, God, I need you for everything. It's not that we've gotten everything figured out and that's why we're holy. It's because we are surrendering continually to God. We are continually coming to God saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. I can't, do, I can't live life without you. That is a sign of holiness. Because that's a sign that God is in control. That we trust God. And the underlying assumption here is what Jesus says when he gets to the end of this passage. That God is good. There is sort of, I think, an underlying rhetorical question that Jesus is asking as as he mentions this parable. In a sense, he's saying... Do any of you have a neighbor who you would go to and ask for bread, no matter what time it is, that they wouldn't give it to you? That they wouldn't realize how important hospitality is, not just to your reputation, but the reputation of the community? Does anybody have a neighbor like that? And I can see them saying, of course not. We all know how important hospitality is to us as a, as a community. No one would deny bread. And Jesus says, how much more, your Father in heaven? How much more? We don't have to beat down God's door to get him to hear us, to love us, to do good for us. He loves to do good for us. He loves to answer our prayers. The issue for us is that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to. The way we think he should. But he always answers our prayers in the way that he knows is eternally best for each of us. And we trust his wisdom. We trust his goodness. We trust his grace. To answer our prayers in the way that is best. And ultimately, the very best answer to any of our prayers, Jesus says, is himself. It's the Holy Spirit. He gets to the end of this and he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven knows how to give to you the Holy Spirit. He gives us himself. It's not just a gift he gives us. He gives us himself, his very presence in our lives. He's simply asking us to come to him, to acknowledge our need, and to let him work in us in ways that we couldn't dream or imagine. And that means we come to him with what we might call the small things, the stuff that other people might look at and say, really? You pray about that? Yes. Because everything that's important to us is important to God. And we come with him about the big things. And we come and we pray boldly and confidently because God can do more than we could dream or imagine. Nothing is impossible for God. And this morning, we're not just going to talk about prayer. We're going to pray. This morning, as, as Jamie said, we're going, to, we're going to open the altar for you to come and to pray. In a minute, I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors to come and to stand here. And we're going to invite you then to come. Those of you who would like to come to the altar, you can kneel around the altar. You can sit in one of the red chairs if kneeling is difficult for you. And just give us the privilege and the honor of praying with you and for you. It might be about a physical need. It might, be, it might be an emotional need. It might be a spiritual need. It might be a relational need. It might be a burden you have for someone else. You might want to come in someone else's place. 
You can tell us as little or as much about the need as you want because God knows. If you would like to be anointed with oil, we, we will be glad to do that. And there's nothing magical about, about the oil, but it does, through Scripture and history, represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's something about the touch that communicates love and compassion and grace and connectedness. We want to come and to pray. And I realize that sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge our need. And maybe you've come and and you've had people pray for you before. That doesn't matter. You're invited to come and to give us the privilege of praying for you. So I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders to come. And I'm going to ask you to come. To come to the altar, to come to the chairs. And to let us pray for you. We have prayed here this morning around the altar, in these chairs, in our seats. And prayers we pray each day in a myriad of places and about a variety of concerns. We pray for those near us who are in need. We pray especially for Gordon Jeffords' family, that you would comfort them in their grief, their pain, their loss. Father, we also pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution. We think especially of the two Bhutanese pastors, Tardine and Thapa, in prison just for conducting a gathering of Christians. We pray for the whole church in Bhutan living with this intense pressure to reject Christ and yet attempting to bear witness to the love of Christ. And we ask you to help them. We pray for all who are in the midst of the Ebola crisis. It's hard for us really to grasp the sense of fear and anxiety in those places because here we are so protected. We have so many medical resources. We pray that you will bring relief to the problem. We pray that, that you, will, you will help people to see that there are places they can come and they can get help instead of living in fear. We pray for your grace to be visible in miraculous healings and in the presence of your church and the courage of your people. We pray for those who are going over even now to help And ask that you would use them as agents of healing and light. As we embark on a new academic year, we pray for your grace upon all of us, wherever we may land in the educational landscape. We pray that you'll light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church, that will burn with a passion for grace and truth, that we might develop a reputation for loving each other. And for loving all people in the spirit and the power of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And the one in whose name we offer our prayers and the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand as we sing together the closing hymn number 49, reminding us that we are children of our Heavenly Father.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.